0: Good morning and welcome to Riverstone Church. My name is Austin Delgado. I'm one of the pastors here, the pastor of Outreach. And as uh, Ben just reminded us before we read scripture this morning, we've been going through a series on our mission values. And I want to start a little bit different this morning, and I hope it's helpful. I'd like to start by sharing a story, a story that I made up, which I hope would illustrate the significance and the purpose of our mission values. It's important that you imagine with me this morning and track with this story. Take a second and just look around you. Notice who's with us. Just look. You don't have to talk or touch. Easy, right? Just look and notice who's with us. Now imagine we are all shipwrecked, stranded on an island. It's been 90 days in blistering dry heat. We're thirsty, hungry, frail, Many among us are dying. It's just a bit of time until we join our deceased brethren. And all of a sudden, a man steps out of a bush, a healthy man, who we've never seen before. He says his name is Savior. I have good news savior says i came from a kingdom just over the horizon i came to rescue you and take you with me to my kingdom our demeanors change from death to life we're we're revitalized now there's there's a little refreshment hope What what should we do? We need to get moving. We need to get to work. What shall we do, Savior? We need to build a boat. Guys, what do you say we build a boat? Grab some wood. No, no, no. Savior says, I have a vessel for you. Just over there, beyond the trees. Sanctus Spiritus. He'll get you there. You can depend on him. He's indestructible. Here, you'll need this, though, my word. This is the rudder to my vessel. Cling to it, for it will keep you on your path. Don't let go of it, or you will surely drift and be lost." Now, get everyone in your camp and go out throughout all the island and gather as many you can to come with you. You'll need to work together on board as one. There are rough waters ahead. This will not be an easy journey. You'll need each other. If each one starts doing their own thing, you'll surely drift And be lost. And don't forget what I told you. There is a kingdom awaiting you all. Just over the horizon. Don't be scared at sea. I'm coming with you. I'll be with you. Just remember what I told you. And remember that I came for you. And am still with you. If you forget... You'll surely drift and be lost. Stay focused. Look straight ahead, striving to the glorious prize that awaits you. There's an abundance of food and water and wine in my kingdom. My Father's waiting for you all. He's the one who sent me. Don't look to the left or to the right, or you'll surely drift and be lost. Now go. I hope that you were able to make some connections during my short story. If the mission of Riverstone Church is to advance the gospel by making disciples who make disciples, and our end goal is to glorify God on mission together until we are with him in heaven... Then our mission values are our commitments to get us there. They are the biblical priorities that guide us toward our shared end. Pastor Tom started our series last week, or two weeks ago, showing us how to depend on the Spirit for all life and ministry, trusting that it is He who is at work, producing the fruit in us and through us, and carries us to glory. Pastor John last week showed us the significance of the Bible, the very rudder that guides us on our mission and keeps us on our path. And today I want to talk to you all about the gospel. We as a church want to be a people who are established in the gospel, grow in the gospel, and advance the gospel near and far. The gospel is central to who we are and all that we do. We are committed to staying centered on the gospel. Now, it's important that we ask ourselves three questions to ensure that we stay centered on the gospel together. What is the gospel? Why is it central to life? and how do we keep it central? What is the gospel? Why is it central to life? And how do we keep it central? Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1. We are not going to have scripture on the screens this morning. I would encourage you all to have a Bible in front of you. It's very important that we are looking at this text because we're going to be doing some jumping around. So The being on on the screen is not going to help. I'd love everyone to have a Bible in front of them this morning. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And begin by opening us up in prayer. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. We so need your spirit and your word. And without your Holy Spirit, your word is foolishness to us. Lands upon our hearts and bounces right off like leather. Create within our hearts today, we ask, oh God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, a a fertile soil to receive the word of God and, and, and through your Holy Spirit to produce fruit. Impress your word upon our hearts as we bask in the greatest news that has ever came to humanity, the most powerful news that has ever landed on us. Help us love you more fully, and live for you more faithfully all the days of our lives today as we, from this day moving forward, as we enter into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Romans 1, 1-17. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, Called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, And have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Amen. So Paul is writing to a new church, a fairly new church in Rome that he has never visited yet. He wants to, as we just saw, he plans to visit them, but first he sends this letter to introduce himself and his doctrine. In other words, he's, he, he, he produces and writes this theological, this most profound theological treatise in hope that, we, that, that it will be of nourishment to the growth of the church in Rome and to prepare uh, the way for his arrival. Now, what's important first to note is right in the opening line of Paul's salutation, he identifies himself as a servant and messenger of Jesus for the gospel of God, and then sheds light on what the gospel is in the next four verses. So, what is the gospel? Now, before we track with Paul very closely here, let's start by defining the very word gospel, okay? When you hear the word gospel, we are talking about good news. It's always been translated that way since day one. We're talking about good news, Okay, very simply. So what's the good news, Paul? He goes on to explain. This good news was promised throughout the Holy Scriptures, throughout the Old Testament law, the prophets, the writings. In other words, the Old Testament points to the gospel throughout, he indicates. Concerning his son, the good news is about the Son of God who was born as a man in the line of David and was God, having proved to the world that he was the Son of God through his resurrection after his death by the Spirit of God who is holy. Jesus Christ who is our Lord. Amen? That's it. It's all right there. The gospel then is the good news about Jesus. It's the good news of what God has done for humanity through the life, death, and resurrection of his son Jesus. Jesus lived the life that we could not live In perfect holiness and perfect righteousness. And in so doing, Romans 8 tells us, that he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law for us so that we would be made holy and have restored fellowship with God, a holy God. Jesus died the death that we deserve because of our sin and our corruption. He who had no sin took upon our sin so that we would receive his righteousness and, and having his righteousness obtained a right standing before God and restored fellowship with God. This is called atonement, family. His covering over us. His rejection and alienation for our acceptance and welcoming his death for our life his receiving our sin for us to receive his righteousness his taking our sorrows so that we would receive his joy amen you should get happy at the sound of these things when you when you hear these things and talk about these things You should feel a well of joy and life spring up from your heart. These are of infinite value. This is what it means to be rich, to be under the wing of Jesus. Jesus, after his death, was resurrected to glory and new life. He was the firstborn among many who would follow after him in his resurrection to new life. And Jesus ascended to heaven, now sitting at the right hand of God, meaning that he is Lord of all. Amen. Lord and Savior of the world. That's the gospel. The good news of Jesus that's been spreading throughout the world for over 2,000 years, and through which, the very news that through which God is reconciling and restoring the whole world back to himself. Now, you may ask yourself, or you may have asked yourself at some point, or if not, I'll ask the question for you, because you'll probably ask it at some point. If that's the gospel, that's great, and I mean it. That is good news. I get it. But I don't understand something. If that happened 2,000 years ago, and all we have to do is believe it, and and then we move on in life as Christians, after you've heard the gospel once, and you believe it, and you're born again, you become a Christian why should it still be central to life? Why does it still need to be central? Jump ahead to verse 15. Up to this point, Paul just said that he can't wait to come to Rome. He wants to be mutually encouraged with his Roman brothers and sisters. He wants to see a harvest. And then in verse 15, notice what he says here. For my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also. Now, this is interesting. Who is the you that Paul wants to preach to? Unbelievers? Believers? Well, who's he talking to? Who's his letter addressed to? Look at verses 6 and 7. You who are called of God, beloved of God, saints of God. So the you here in verse 15 must include at least the very believers of the church whom he wants to preach the gospel to. But why, Paul? Why would you want to preach the gospel to believers? Verse 16 and 17. For or because, now let's just stop right there for a second. It's important that we note this. These next two verses that we're about to dissect are understood by most scholars to be the thesis of the whole book of Romans. We will see here four subordinate clauses, okay? For, 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 just as each clause shedding light on the one before it to further clarify his points. So, why do you want to preach the gospel to believers, Paul? Track closely with me here, okay? We're going to be zooming in. Verse 16. Because, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, another way to say that, I'm proud of the gospel. Why are you proud of it, Paul? Because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Now, this is important. The gospel, which is the news about Jesus, is called here the very power of God. It could have been called many things. It could have been referred to and called the grace of God, the mercy of God, the the hope of God. But Paul says it's the power of God for salvation. He doesn't say the gospel points to power. He says the very news itself is the power. The news is powerful for salvation. Now, when Paul and many of the other New Testament authors speak about the salvation of God, which we just reviewed, they speak about it in the past, present, and future tenses. Those who believe in the gospel have been saved, are being saved and will be saved. That's what we see throughout the New Testament. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. You don't have to turn there. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you. It's important to know this because in the in the book of Romans and, and arguably maybe a majority of the New Testament or much of the New Testament, salvation is primarily in the book of Romans in reference to final salvation when we as believers, children of God, are delivered through the wrath of God and enter eternal joy in the presence of the Lord. For example, Romans 5, 9 says much more than having now been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him. You understand that? So we're talking about the power of God unto final salvation here in verse 16. Yes, it includes getting saved at first. Okay? Paul certainly makes that clear, that 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 salvation refers to being saved at first. But here, in verse 16, he's mostly referring to perseverance until final salvation at the end. How do we know that? Paul says it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Okay? Now, I need to shed some light on this, on this word here for you. There is a present active Aspect to this word, believes, okay? So it literally means the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all believing ones. Or for all those who are believing. Do you see the difference? Belief is not just a one-time thing in the past. The gospel is the power of God for everyone who continues To believe. Paul is talking here about ongoing belief. He's saying the gospel is the power of God to keep believers believing until the end. That's really important that we understand that. Okay, Paul, so how does it work? How does the gospel keep believers believing until the end? Verse 17 For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now again, another present tense that needs to be brought out, okay? And then I'm done with the grammar, I promise. Literally this reads, in in it, the righteousness of God is being revealed. Is being revealed. The present tense here suggests that Paul is showing that wherever and whenever the gospel is shared, the righteousness of God in its fullness is being disclosed. Good? No, Austin, you're missing a piece. You're missing a piece. What is the righteousness of God, then, that is revealed whenever the gospel is preached that's powerful enough to keep believers believing? Last piece. The righteousness of God refers to the activity of God in making humans right again. And bringing the status of those made righteous into restored relationship to God. All God's work. And of course, we know that that very activity of God is what he has done through the person and work of Jesus. Martin Luther One of the leading Protestant reformers referred to the righteousness of God as an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from without, from outside of ourselves. Look at verse 5. Paul says, Jesus, our Lord, through whom we have received grace. God's righteousness is a free gift that is to be received by faith. Now, the point of all this is this. What is the righteousness of God that's preached in the gospel that has, that's powerful enough to keep believers believing? It's the reminder that the righteousness that God requires from us, he gives to us. The righteousness that God requires from us, he gives to us. The gospel reminds us that we have nothing to offer ourselves in this life and ministry, but God has given all to us. The primary responsibility of the believer is not to do, 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 but to receive, receive, Receive what has been done. That's the primary responsibility of the believer. Everything in the Christian life flows out of first receiving from God. That is of absolute vital importance. And the way we receive is to believe and believe, and keep on believing. Oh, but we're so fickle, Austin. We're so weak. Life is so strong. It pulls me here, it pulls me there. How do we stay a steadfast, anchored, believing people? We remember, and remember, and remember, and remind one another Constantly, because only in remembrance of the gospel do we remember, I am flawed. That's right. I am weak, powerless. I am a greedy, selfish person, angry, lonely. But God, God did not leave me to my own to perish. He came for us. I have hope. I have a family. I have strength. I have guidance. I know where I'm going. I have joy. When we remind ourselves of the gospel, it's like resetting our souls. It's like defragmenting our our hard drives of all the clutter that is overwhelming us from the world and life around us to purify the orientation of our heart and our minds toward God. Did you get that? It's like a soul reset every time we recite or remember the gospel, purifying our hearts and minds toward God. Remember my story. If Savior never would have shown up, there's no good news. The people perish. And what did he say to them? Remember, remember, this journey will not be smooth. Don't forget, or you will drift and be lost. Now, if this is the first time that You're hearing the gospel, or the first time that it's beginning to become make sense and and, and become clear to you. Do you hear this good news for you, for us? Would you receive it? Would you believe it? Would you take hold of it? Take hold of Him? He's standing there at the door, knocking, waiting for you to open. Pray and ask God to take hold of your heart. You believe. Come talk to one of us afterward if you want to, if you want to understand more or talk more. So, how do we come, how do we become so immersed in the gospel that we maintain a single track focus and do not drift? How do we keep God, the gospel central to life? Very simple. But requires commitment. Remember this. Very simple, but requires commitment. Know the gospel and make it known. All we have to do is know the gospel and make it known to maintain our single track focus. The starting point is to so know the gospel as your only hope and power in life and cling to it, reminding yourself of gospel truths daily. And then speak these gospel truths to others within our community, encouraging one another in the gospel, for the gospel, with the gospel, while at the same time making the gospel known to those around us in the world who are still wandering with no bearing on reality and no sign of hope. Know the gospel, make it known. We need to become fluent in the gospel. Jeff Vanderstelt wrote a book, Gospel Fluency. He associates becoming fluent in the gospel with sort of like learning a new language. And he does a really good job making that connection in the book that I would highly commend to you all. He says this, I believe God wants his people to experience a fluency in the gospel. He wants them to be able to translate the world around them and the world within them through the lens of the gospel. The truths of God revealed in the person and work of Jesus. Gospel-fluent people think, feel, and perceive everything in light of what has been accomplished in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Gospel fluency begins in you, gets worked out within the community, and is expressed to a world that needs to hear about Jesus. Family, this takes intentionality, and if you want to commit yourself to growing and becoming more fluent in the gospel for your sake, for the church's sake, for the world's sake. Consider our study on gospel fluency coming up, where we'll be focusing on the gospel in me. This is following this book. It's the study working through this book. The gospel in me, the gospel with us, and the gospel to others on Tuesdays and Wednesdays in our guided Bible study. Sign up online. Grab this book in the book booth. We have these available. I would highly commend this to you all. A very practical way to grow more fluent in knowing and making known the gospel. Now, do we see this idea of preaching the gospel to yourself, speaking it within the community and within, and, and out in the world, anywhere in the text here in Romans 1? Maybe not as explicit But notice a few important things here. When I was thinking about how Paul views himself and how he reflects uh, on himself and the gospel, I couldn't help but to think how fleeting self-help mantras are that are all over culture and country and in the world today, whether secular or religious mantras, yoga, TM, or just self-help guidance stuff. I want to share with you a couple real ones that that I looked up. People are encouraged to recite these things daily to themselves. I am proud of myself. I am free to be myself. I am healthy and strong. I am worthy and deserving of good things. This is real. I'm finding these things. I do not judge others. I have the power to create change. Now, these may help for a day, maybe for a few days, but ultimately they will wash out, mostly because they're just not true. I'm not going to get into that right now. But let's look at Paul's mantras if he's, that we see in the text here. If he's writing this to the believers in Rome, he certainly must be believing it and thinking this stuff regularly. Verse 1. I am a servant of Christ. My life is set apart for the gospel. Verse 14, having been given this gospel, I am in debt to the world to share this gospel. Verse 15, I am eager to share the gospel. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm proud of it, for it is the power of God for salvation. That's gospel-centeredness, family. That's gospel-centeredness, right, there, Family, what would it look like for us, each and every one of us, and together in 2020, to commit ourselves to daily recitations? I'm not joking here. Daily recitations and reminders of who God is, who we are, how we are to live our lives, the meaning and purpose of our lives. Consider how you would immerse yourself in knowing and living in view of the gospel every day this new year. That's being gospel-centered. So, know the gospel, remind yourself of the gospel regularly. Also, make the gospel known. Make it known in the church and in the world. Notice verses 11 through 15. Paul explains why he wants to come to Rome, to encourage one another, to have a harvest, and to preach the gospel. Now, it's important that we notice a few things here. One, the gospel is the very essence of his ministry. Verse 1, I'm set apart for the gospel. Verse 9, I serve God in the gospel. The scripture here says, includes the italics right there you see in the preaching of the gospel that actually is not there in the original text I don't think it helps I think that's pretty narrow he says I serve God in the gospel everything I do is within the sphere of the gospel another note thing to note I can't wait to come to preach the gospel and encourage one another by each other's faith In the gospel. This is important, family. Look at verses 11 through 12. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established or strengthened. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. You can't emphasize community enough more than in just that One verse we need to make the gospel known among each other he doesn't just say oh I can't wait to see you all I can't wait to come hang out with you all and catch up on some things he makes it clear he wants faith in the gospel to be shared it's our faith in Jesus that brings the mutual encouragement here when we speak gospel truths to each other fruit abounds From faith to faith. When we encounter the faith of others, it produces and fuels more faith in us, more life in us, more power in us, and together we live by faith. And then lastly, he notes in 13 to 15, he says, I can't wait to preach the gospel in Rome and reap a harvest there. Also, as among the other Gentiles elsewhere, he's saying, I have to preach the gospel when I come to your city also. I want to see a harvest. What he's referring to there is of new converts. I want to see more and more unbelievers coming to the faith when I come to you. I can't wait. Family, The gospel of God, the good news of Jesus, is not a message for believers only. This is the only true account of reality and the only basis for human existence in the world. Paul says, it's very interesting, meditate on that. He says, I'm under obligation, I'm in debt. I'm in debt. You know what he thinks about life? He thinks, I am in debt. The only, after receiving the gospel, the way that I repay my debt is by passing the gospel on to other. My life as a servant of Christ is in the gospel, with the gospel, for the gospel. We are living in a real story, family, the gospel story, God's story. How can we so see and understand that, that we effectively help others view reality through that lens? Only through the lens of the gospel can we see and have a true bearing on reality, The essence of the gospel is good news. It is meant to be shared to all. And we have an evangelism training coming up. You'll see details on February 16th where we'll be specifically honing in on persuading the gospel. How do we enter into someone else's worldview and help them see reality through a gospel-centered worldview? Know the gospel and make it known in the church and the world. Now, in closing... This is why being, I hope this morning's study here helps us understand and reinforce why being centered on the gospel is so important for us at Riverstone. Let's read our mission value together. Centered on the gospel. Our core va- one of our mission values and commitments of our church. Let's read together. We believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation in every tense, past, present, and future. We need the gospel just as much believers we did before we knew Christ. We seek to center everything we believe and do on the Bible's core message, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, its implications for our lives. This means that we talk about Jesus and the power of his gospel, a lot family let's be a people who are eager to talk about the gospel a lot to ourselves to one another and to those in the world around us for in so doing we will truly receive and live the abundant life that jesus savior jesus brought us amen let's pray father thank you for the gospel We are powerless, hopeless, frail people without your gospel, without your son. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh God, we pray together as we separate and scatter out into the world. Be gracious to us, bless us, keep us, Oh God, make your face to sh- smile upon us, that through us your ways would be made known in all the earth, and your name would be magnified among all the nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.